with that, I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense's Bloggers Roundtable for Thursday, January 17th, 2013. My name is William Selby with the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating the call today. Uh, today we are honored to have as our guest United States Air Force Reserve, uh, sorry, Captain John Brady, Weather Reconnaissance Officer for the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron. Uh, he will be discussing the winter storm tracking missions that take place in the northeast and northwest corners of the United States. Uh, sir, with that, um, we have two uh, bloggers or journalists on the line. First, we have Chuck Simmons and then also Imani Lyle, as you heard from American Forces Press Service. Um, to the bloggers and to the journalists, please uh, remember to clearly state your name. Uh, before you ask your question, and please make sure that if you are not asking a question, your phone is on mute. With that, Captain Brady, if you have an opening statement, the floor is yours. Yeah, um, let me just uh, men uh, mention one other thing is that we got here. Um, I'm also Lieutenant Colonel John Talbot. I'm the Chief Meteorologist of the unit, and it's uh, myself and uh, John Brady that will be answering your questions today of different things. Um, let, me, let, let me just start out by saying um, the um, – we're glad to be here with you guys, and um, um, we're glad to be able to share kind of what we do with our weather mission. Um, we're one of the uh, three special missions that the Air Force Reserve Command has. Um, weather reconnaissance mission, obviously, is our job. We, we're the guys that go out and collect uh, data in hurricanes, tropical cyclones for the National Hurricane Center, and we collect uh, information on winter storms for the National Weather Service. Um, the other two special missions, which you may be aware of, are the uh, spray mission that the Air Force Reserve has and the uh, firefighting mission. So um, we're one of the three uh, kind of different missions that, um, that uh, the Air Force Reserve uh, has responsibility for. And um, I'll let uh, John talk a little bit about why we do the uh, winter storm mission and kind of what that's all about, if you want to go, John. Okay, yeah. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, once again, uh, Captain John Brady here. Uh, you know, uh, most people know that hurricane hunters uh, are one of our main jobs, which is hunting hurricanes and the tropical missions that we do and collecting uh, data for uh, tropical storms, hurricanes, and the impacts that it uh, may ultimately have when they make landfall. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is our winter storm mission, uh, which uh, we do every year as well, and uh, th those are kind of a different animal. Uh, the winter storms, instead of flying low level straight into the uh, the eye, so to speak, uh, these are, are big synoptic uh, tracks that we fly. They're predetermined tracks. We fly as high as we can in our C-130s. Uh, in fact, we just flew one overnight, uh, one of our other uh, uh, meteorologists flew on that. Uh, we flew a track over the Gulf of Mexico uh, as we're watching another storm develop over the southeast part of the country right now. Uh, but our goal is to fly as high as possible and, and uh, drop our weather drop zones at predetermined points uh, to measure the atmosphere in, in the largest column possible and then get that information to the National Weather Service. They can feed that into the weather models and uh, increase the forecast uh, accuracy uh, for developing winter storms. Like I said, we just flew one last night, in fact, and uh, I believe we dropped 10 weather signs over the Gulf of Mexico from a uh, flight altitude of 31, 
and 33,000 feet. Uh, basically, the longer they flew, the lighter the aircraft got due to less fuel, and so they were able to get higher and higher with, with each one. But ultimately, that data was fed into the weather models to help forecast this low uh, that's now uh, tracking across the southeast. I believe by Friday and Saturday, it'll be moving out into the Atlantic. Uh, and they're looking at uh, ultimately 20-foot seas out there and some snow across well, even snow right now in northern Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and I think they're looking at four to maybe 12 inches of snow across the Virginias and uh, uh, Carolinas in the higher terrain. So, um, but what, one reason for the winter storm missions that we do is to collect data over water where we don't have a lot of weather observations. Winter storms that are already over the middle part of the country, we have weather observations already. We have ground reporting stations. We've got balloons that are being launched, we have all the data we need. But over the open waters of the Pacific and Atlantic especially, there's nothing out there for the models for the, to, the models to ingest. So that's where we come in. We go out there and we get a lot of extra data to pump into the, the model, which is looking at kind of a blank screen, uh, so to speak, until we get that, uh, that data out there. So it's very useful, very beneficial. And uh, you know the forecast accuracy, accuracy can go up 15 to 20 percent uh, just by uh, gathering that data. So um, that, that's kind of the winter storm in a nutshell. There, g generically, um, I've, I've flown a few myself. I, I'm the most recent addition to the hurricane hunters, as far as the uh, meteorologists are concerned. Uh, I flew a number of winter storms last year, and then just this fall in November, I was flying the nor'easter that went up the eastern seaboard following Hurricane Sandy, um, and we got a lot of good data out of that. That was a track that we flew um, over the southwest Atlantic, up the coast of Florida and the uh, Carolinas there. So at this point, if you have any questions, uh, feel free. Thank you very much, sir. I've actually I made the changes to the uh, to our announcement on the blog, just so you know, and I apologize for um, that miscommunication there. But uh, our first uh, blogger on the line was Chuck Simmons. Chuck, if you have any questions, go ahead. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking the call, Colonel Talbot. I believe we spoke with you uh, two years ago, right around this time. Yeah, I believe so. We were out in Colorado at a, at a conference at that point. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about um, tasking. Where do your tasking uh, originate? Who decides that, hey, it's time to send you guys out? Yeah, okay, that's a, that's, that's a good question. Um, typically, we only do these types of missions, these winter storm missions, if there's going to be a large societal impact um, someplace in the U.S. Um, winter storms kill more people than hurricanes do. So the National Weather Service sort of makes that decision. If, if they, they are seeing a lot of uncertainty in their models and, you know, they run, you know, several different types of models every day, several times a day, and if they see uncertainty in those models, they will contact our liaison team, which resides at the National Hurricane Center. Um, that's our, those are the folks that are the kind of the middlemen between our unit and either the Hurricane Center or the National Weather Service. So they'll contact them and uh, let them know that they'd like a mission and what track they would like the, the 
the mission to fly, and then our liaison team there uh, coordinates with um, with our squadron here, and we make the mission happen. You got that, Chuck? Yeah, thank you. Could, uh, we, have, we only have you and Amani on, so if you want to follow up, you can go ahead and then she can ask her questions. Well, uh, let me follow up then. Um, are, are the flying, what are the differences in flying conditions between uh, a winter storm and, uh, and a hurricane? Is it more icing or more, or more what? Yeah, um, well, a, like Captain Brady mentioned, a winter storm mission is a high altitude mission. It's basically to supplement the, the upper air balloon data that goes up around the U.S. every day. And it's, um, you know, 30 to 34,000 feet. So we typically fly ahead of a developing winter storm. And ahead, I mean, um, usually it's one or in the Atlantic basin, it's, it's a day or so ahead of the main impact. Um, so you're typically above most of the weather. Um, sometimes you may be skirting the top of uh, stuff and you get into some icing and things like that, but it's not as, as um, active. It's not an active environment like it is in a hurricane, typically, where you're right in the middle of it since you're a lot lower. Um, so, so you know, your typical airline flight that may take you from wherever you live to across the country, you know, occasionally you go through clouds and occasionally it gets a little bumpy and, you know, you may not know it as a passenger, but maybe you get a little icing once in a while. Um, that's typically the, the standard winter storm track. Um, so, yeah, we're above most of the weather. Okay, thank you. Amani, are you there? Did you want to go ahead and you can ask a few questions as well if you want. Okay. Um, so far, it looks like I, I only have two because uh, you guys are very thorough. Uh, but uh, the, the first one I had was uh, even though we know Katrina was a hurricane, but how has the mission overall uh, changed since Katrina? We, I know we're talking about winter storms versus hurricanes, but is there anything that's had an overall impact on the mission regardless of the season based on things we've learned from Katrina? Okay, this is uh, Kenner Carl Talbot. I'll answer that one. Um, the mission really hasn't changed much at all since Katrina. Um, what has changed a little bit is some of the information that we're able to provide. Um, and really, that really is something that's specific to the hurricane mission. We, we, we can provide some better detail nowadays on the winds that are going to impact a coastal area when a hurricane comes ashore um, because we have an instrument now which is called an SFMR. It's a, that's the short version and basically what this instrument does, it's a remote wind sensor so we're able to map the entire area under a hurricane. During uh, Katrina, we had only, I believe, one or two airplanes probably had that instrument installed, and, and now we've gone to the entire fleet. So um, being able to map the area under a hurricane and, and specifically determine exactly how strong the winds are just prior to a hurricane making landfall is a gigantic benefit for not only the forecasters at the Hurricane Center, but for the local emergency management folks that are dealing with where to 
how and where to evacuate people from. Um, so that's that's really the biggest change. The, the, the two missions have been around uh, for a very long time, and over the years, how we do them hasn't changed as much as the information that we're able to provide now with uh, better technology and, and new instrumentation. Okay. And uh, my next question, uh, sir, if you would talk about uh, the collaboration uh, among the the Air National Guard, the Reserve, and active duty. Um, every time we, we hear about one of these natural disasters, we see our, our folks working side by side, ANG, Reserve, and active. Um, to not only track these things, but look at uh, rescue and, and clean up whatever is needed. Um, can you speak a little bit about the collaboration among the other components? Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, we're out there to collect the data, um, but that data is also obviously beneficial for um, many places along the, uh, the coastline where there's Air Force bases, Marine bases, Navy facilities. So um, indirectly, you know, we provide them with uh, better information so they can make better decisions. Um, occasionally, we, we, we do work with um, active duty folks when we're, we, we deploy our forces to, say, a, a forward operating location because that happens to be where the storm is and it's closer to us to get to it, um, we're able to provide them with some, you know, face-to-face -face information. Um, we do occasionally find ourselves in a position where um, if something happens um, and we'll say like a, a, a boat is in trouble, we happen to be out in the storm, we'll, we'll get a call sometimes from the Coast Guard to, uh, since we're already there, to see if we can, you know, locate um, um, the, the boat or whatever it happens to be. And we've done that many times over the years. Uh, um, and as a matter of fact, I'll let John, uh, Captain Brady talk about uh, an incident this summer when we were flying uh, into a storm that was uh, near the Virgin Islands where uh, they got called to do a, a search and rescue um, for that during that mission. Okay. John. Sure. Right, yeah, that's uh, Captain uh, John Brady here again. Yeah, the storm he was referring to was this summer. It was uh, what became Hurricane uh, Raphael uh, out by the, uh, the the Virgin Islands out there. We had just, I was on a crew. We had just penetrated what was then Tropical Storm Raphael, but it was ramping up and getting stronger. Uh, it was uh, nor north of uh, St. Croix there. After our penetration and our fourth fix of the storm, we were headed back home uh, to St. Croix, and uh, we got a phone call. We got a, a radio transmission uh, requesting assistance uh, in searching for a, uh, a Piper Aztec uh, aircraft that had gone down in the vicinity. And they asked if we were able, since we were in the area, if we had the fuel, could we help uh, maybe try to locate possible debris? And there was already a local plane who had was circling that thought they may have seen some debris already, so they patched us into them, and they passed us their latitude and longitude coordinates. Then we replaced them and started circling, and sure enough, we did ultimately find some debris. We saw what looked like might be a small oil slick, and uh, then we were, uh, as soon as we saw that, we marked a point with our navigator, and then we got in touch with the Coast Guard. We passed those uh, coordinates to them, and once we got in contact with them and had visuals, we handed it off to them. They took over. They ultimately did find the rest of the debris. They even found uh, one female survivor who was still floating out there. The aircraft had definitely gone. 
they found her. She was still clinging to life. They did find a, a couple other deceased as well, but, um, you know, ultimately we helped, uh, you know, save her, and I'm sure she was extremely grateful to see some folks coming to get her. Uh-huh. But, so that's just one example of how we can, uh, you know, intercoordinate with the different branches for search and rescue. Interesting. And what, uh, what, do you know what month and year that was, and uh, how many were aboard the aircraft? I believe there was a total of uh, three, three total individuals on board that aircraft. Uh, two were found deceased, the other was found alive, a female. Uh, and that was just this storm season, 2012. Uh, Raphael, I believe it was a uh, August, August time frame. It was towards the end of August. I'd have to look okay. at the exact date. And they were found in the waters um, off the coast of St. Croix? Uh, it was actually closer to uh, St. John. Uh, the report that came in as the aircraft had departed St. Croix and was en route to St. John, and it, it disappeared in between. And, uh, we found it in between. It was actually closer to St. John when they found the, the rest of the wreckage. Okay. Um, thank you very much. And, and then my uh, my final question is: um, Do you do you have an idea for what the way ahead is? Uh, is there are there some goals uh, that that the organization would like to see in uh, in thirteen, perhaps in uh, system enhancement, um, expanding, broadening the mission, um, or or are you guys pretty much where you want to be uh, in terms of having a handle on on these types of weather systems? Um, yeah, this is Colonel Calvin. I'll answer that one. Um, okay. Well, in uh, 2013, um, you know, we expect that, uh, you know, we'll continue doing what we've been doing. Um, we're always, um, you know, the, we coordinate with the uh, National Hurricane Center and, and, and the Weather Service, and we're looking at, um, you know, other types of capability in, in the future. Um, for example, we have a very good uh, radar on the aircraft, and um, one of the requirements that the Hurt Center is uh, looking at is being able to transmit some of this radar data when, while we're in flight to, to them so their, their meteorologists there can take a look at what we're seeing um, as, as a hurricane changes structure-wise. So uh, that's an enhancement uh, that, you know, in the future, uh, it, it's probably not now and next year, but uh, um, something that we're looking forward to. Um, we'll be getting an upgrade uh, to the aircraft this summer that will allow us to uh, uh, make it much easier to communicate uh, with air traffic control, um, especially when we're low, because we do a lot of low flying in, in hurricanes. and. You know, um, sometimes when, for, for example, a storm is uh, coming up towards the Florida coastline, the airlines are still flying. They're trying to evacuate airplanes, say, on Miami, and, and, and they're still out there. There's a lot of air traffic out there, but here we come at, you know, low altitude into that area, and it's sometimes hard to communicate with the air traffic control folks. So we'll be getting a sat phone system on the airplane where, where they can call us and we can call them. Um, so that will enhance uh, safety, obviously. And um, we have some other small upgrades. It's kind of a continuing thing that happens year to year. But uh, the mission itself, the requirements of the mission and, and what we need to, to do it are defined pretty much by our customer, the National Hurricane Center. And right right now, the, the data we collect uh, for them is um, it does a really, really good job. So um, I don't expect we'll see much in the way of uh, how we do our mission or 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 uh, too much in the way of um, 
technological enhancements because we're at a, we're at a peak at, 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 at the moment. Um, there may be some other types of aircraft in the future, and you may have um, seen some of this uh, in the news reporting last year that they're, we're starting to experiment a little bit with unmanned vehicles. Uh-huh. NASA has flown a couple high-altitude uh, Global Hawks over hurricanes that are uh, outfitted with special instrumentation. And, um, you know, we're trying to get to the point where we're, we, we can develop remote sensors to remotely sense some of this stuff. And we're not there yet, but, uh, you know, 15, 20 years from now, we may be a lot closer to that day. So, um, so yeah, there are, there are some things on the horizon. But for our mission, we, we expect we'll do the same thing this coming season that we did last year. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, that was pretty thorough. I, I actually don't have any more questions. Okay. Thanks, Amani. And uh, Chuck, did you have any more questions? I, I do. Colonel, the last time we spoke, uh, you guys had been flying out of Guam uh, gathering some data. Uh, now, that was two years ago. Uh, what have you been up to recently? Yeah, that was a, a project, uh, a research project that we did for the Navy. Um, you know, we do have some interesting capabilities uh, with this aircraft, so um, it's basically, you know, one-of-its-kind type airplane. Um, so there are other agencies and, and customers that are interested in, in, in utilizing the capability to collect research data. So that was a research mission we did for the Navy um, since they forecast typhoons out in the Pacific. Um, currently, we don't have anything forecast on the books but for this coming year, but we may uh, have a project uh, maybe in 2014, 2015, again, working with the Navy and probably in the Western Pacific. Um, since there are, you know, and, and you guys may, may or may not know this, but there are no other places in the world typically that this, is, this happens other than the Atlantic and, and Eastern Pacific Basin. So the rest of the world, they, they forecast uh, these storms basically with satellites and they make a lot of guesses. Um, so they're trying to make those forecasts better. So uh, that's where our research data can help and uh, that's what we're looking at uh, in a year or two. Okay. Now, do you fly all your missions out of Biloxi? No, we don't. Um, we fly a majority of them from here, but uh, basically we go where we need to go to get close enough to the area of interest to make it, you know, efficient for us to, to, to get the mission done. So, okay. So when you were, uh, for, for Hurricane Sandy and, and the, uh, the winter storm, uh, did you fly out of Mississippi, or, or were you flying from, uh, uh, like, uh, Niagara Falls or someplace? Um, we flew out of Keesler when Sandy first started to develop in the Caribbean. And uh, after it moved, um, I'd say, up maybe near the Carolinas, um, we deployed aircraft to Savannah, Georgia, and we flew the remaining missions out of Savannah until the storm made landfall up in New Jersey. And that, that was... Over the ocean flying, really, that wasn't, you weren't flying up into Ohio to see what the winter storm was doing. No, no, that's correct, yeah. For, so for, for Sandy, um, these are only overwater missions. We, we never fly typically over land um, in a tropical system because uh, it, uh, um, it, we get a lot more hazards over land once a storm makes landfall. Uh, the same thing for the winter storm missions. These are typically always overwater tracks because that's where the data is needed. That's where there is no data. It's data sparse. So um, 
most of most of everything we do weather mission wise is is over the ocean so um do you ever deploy down to, say, Puerto Rico or, or the Virgin Islands to, to, to fly into the into the uh, Western Atlantic, Eastern Atlantic? Yeah, ab ab absolutely. We uh, we have a forward operating base in St. Croix, so uh, when the hurricanes or tropical cyclones come across the Atlantic, um, it, we we deploy aircraft there um, and we fly out into the Atlantic, about 300 miles east of the islands, to start uh, flying into the, the the systems as they get closer. So we actually, you know, we deploy the airplanes wherever we need to to make it uh, efficient, fuel-wise and, and data-wise, uh, for us to get the mission done. So St. Croix is one place. If there's a hurricane that maybe threatens the Hawaiian Islands, we'll deploy aircraft out to uh, out to Hickam Air Force base and fly out of there in, in, you know, until the storm uh, threat is over. Um, but we try to do what we can you know, out of our home station because all our assets and resources are right here. And uh, are, your, are your aircraft and crews also tasked for, uh, for uh, overseas deployment? Like um, I know the, the firefighters uh, and spray guys uh, with the National Guard have said that they also uh, are over in Afghanistan or in the Central Command AOR at times. Right. Yeah. Um, we're we're kind of unique in the sense that um, our mission is not uh, these two weather type missions are not combat coded missions. So um, we're more of a homeland defense type organization more than we are a combat organization. Um, we do have another flying organization here with us, a sister squadron at Keesler that uh, also flies C-130s, but uh, they they are combat coded and they would deploy and they have deployed and, and will be in the future over to uh, you know the Middle East. Okay, and, and uh, Captain, um, how long have you been with the squadron and where were you before you, you came to the squadron? Yeah, uh, in May will be my two-year point here at the Hurricane Hunters. Um, before that, uh, I was uh, active duty. Uh, I, I served uh, seven and a half years active duty. My last active duty station was Buckley uh, over there in Colorado. Then I had about a nine-month period where uh, I was a, just a civilian before I transferred over into the reserves, but I was working at Tyndall Air Force Base as a civilian for uh, for a while there. Um, at the weather desk at the 601st AOC, and then uh, was able to uh, come up here to Keesler and become an Air Reserve technician. Um, and uh, I love it here. It's, it's a great job. It's, it's very exciting. Um, I had a really busy season this last season. I'm uh, actually up to my we, – we actually kind of um, count how many hurricane penetrations we have, and I'm up to 29 already. So 29 for the for the year or in your career? Career-wise, so far. My first year here, there was a lot of training. Uh, I didn't have a lot of hurricane penetrations that first uh, season, but this last season I, I was flying and flying and flying. Um, uh, I ended up flying uh, Hurricane Sandy multiple times. Uh, let's see, I was in Isaac, Raphael. We had Tropical Storm Debbie that went across the Gulf. Um, I also ended up flying that winter storm nor'easter that went up the eastern seaboard following Sandy. 
so I definitely got a lot of playing time, a lot of good experience. Uh, and I'm still loving it. Looking forward to the next season as well. So. Okay, thank you. Colonel, can you tell me how many people and how many aircraft uh, you've got in your unit? Yeah, we've got uh, 10, 10 WC-130Js, and we have, um, it, you know, it, it's around, it varies, the, the, the number is 120 to 130 people, it just depends on who's coming and going at the time. Um, and we have 10 full-time Air Reserve Technician crews and 20, I'm sorry, 10 traditional reserve crews. So we're a 50-50 split between our full-timers and our part-timers. And uh, well, how does that work for your part-timers? I mean, uh, when you get busy, you 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 uh, you bring them in, or you just see them two weeks during the year. Yeah, well, um, you know, most reserve units they they typically call up people. You know, they, you have several weeks' notice. Um, our mission's a little bit different since we're basically first responders, so we have 16 hours' notice plus the flying time uh, it takes to get to where we're going. So uh, that that is one of the main reasons we have uh, you know a larger percentage of full-time people here because we have to be ready to go tomorrow. But for our part-timers, um, they do their two weeks of, of annual training every year, and in the squadron, we manage those two weeks to coincide with when we're the busiest. So most of our reservists will, will do their uh, military duty during the uh, middle of the hurricane season, usually uh, August and September, when uh, we potentially could have you know the majority of our resources deployed and uh, actively doing something. So. Um, but they do come at various times throughout the year. Um, they're they're involved, uh, you know, with other training missions that we do with with our winter storm mission, and uh, you know they give us uh, what time they can, and uh, you know we we appreciate them very much because a majority of them give us a lot of time. So um, uh, that's kind of how it works with our part time folks here. Okay. Um the fact sheet for your squadron says that the that your gear is all uh, um, pelletized, uh, which suggested that it is unloaded and offloaded similarly to the firefighting guys. Uh, but I'm gathering that you've got a bunch of stuff that's actually on board the plane permanently. Yeah, we have um, the equipment that we have on the airplane that's specific to the uh, weather mission um, is typically mounted in the airplane the you know, majority of the year. We do have the capability to turn the airplane into a standard C-130 so we can haul cargo, passengers, so forth. Um, but normally, the majority of them are always configured for the weather mission, um, at least during the uh, during the hurricane season. During the winter time, we, we normally take two of them and we, 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 what we call, slick them out. We, we take the weather gear off and those airplanes are used for other types of airlift missions. Uh, However, we can help out the uh, command. Um, the last uh, the last couple of years, we were very, very busy um, and active in um, what we call the ICMOP mission. It's a it's a TACC mission in which we move uh, wounded warriors from um, overseas.
overseas, you know, they, they, they get moved to uh, the U.S., and we would go up and pick them up and move, uh, move them to other hospitals around the U.S., and, and that mission was pretty active for us for about two, two years, and we would utilize our deconfigured airplanes to do that. Um, um, so, so, yeah, so to answer your question, for the most, most, most of the year they are configured for the weather mission, but we have the capability to uh, turn it into a standard C-130. Um, it takes about uh, six or eight hours to make that happen. And how many aircraft flying missions would you normally, I mean, have off at, at any one point? You mean actually flying in the air on a, on a weather mission? Right. Um, well, typically for the hurricane mission, we have up to four missions in a day. Normally there's only one airplane in a particular storm at one time. Um, as the storm gets close to making landfall, basically the aircraft is out there 24 hours a day. So when one airplane is leaving, the other one's going. Um, but there are cases where we have more than one storm. And if there is a storm in the Gulf of Mexico, a storm we're working in the Atlantic, and say one in the Pacific, um, we could have uh, you know three airplanes in the air at the same time, but they're all doing different things in different uh, areas. And just a, this is probably the dumbest question I'll ask, and that is, uh, when you drop your instrument, the ones you actually drop out of the aircraft, what happens to them? Well, they're uh, one-time use instruments. They end up uh, going in into the water, and uh, you know they're a cardboard shell, so they eventually uh, you know disintegrate and. Who knows after that? But, okay, so yeah. so so they they don't really float. You don't have tourists coming up and saying, "Oh, look what I found." Normally not. Um, we've gotten a few back over the years. Um, you know, it's kind of like the weather balloons that the Weather Service launches uh, every day. Hundreds of those are launched throughout the U.S. And and when that balloon pops, they come down and on a little parachute, and they may end up in your backyard in, in a tree. And the National Weather Service puts a little sticker on them so you can put them in the mail and send them back, and, and they'll refurbish them and use them again. Uh, the drops on is a little bit different because we drop them over the ocean. Typically, they're, they're not going to be found because they, they sink and they're gone. Um, so, uh, but we've gotten a few back over the years uh, that we've dropped near near the coast, and maybe they ended up right on the beach or something like that. Not too often, however. All right, uh, William. I don't have anything more for these two gentlemen other than to give them my best wishes for continued success. Well, thanks, Chuck, and thank you for all your questions, and uh, to everybody on the line, thank you for your participation. Um, as we close up the call, I'd like to ask uh, to both of our speakers, do you have any closing comments you'd like to make? Um, I, I don't think so, other than just uh, it, was a, you know, it was a great experience to do this, and uh, I always love to answer questions, and um, if this comes up again, I'd be more than willing to participate again, and it was just a pleasure to, to talk with all of you. That's all I had. Yeah, and this is uh, Colonel Talbot. Thank you very much. Um, again, uh, um, you know, the uh, 53rd and the, and the Air Force Reserve is, uh, you know, this has always been a, a great mission for us. We're proud to be able to uh, help mitigate the, uh, the the cost and the and, and the protection of lives during hurricanes. And uh, we look forward to continue doing this mission proudly. 
Thank you again very much, sir. And once again, thank you to everybody online, online or on the line. Sorry. Uh, today's program will be available on DADLive.mil, where you'll be able to access the audio portion of this call, and along with uh, stories from the call. And that concludes today's event. Feel free to disconnect at this time.